It's the Empowerment Perspective Podcast, hosted by Demiso Josie and Mr. Kareem Spence. Stay empowered. Stay All right, empowered. welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of somebody, Amy Josie, alongside. Francis, yeah. Are you there? Right, I just wanted to make sure you were there. I'm here. All right, having a little trouble on your end. I don't know whether you paid the bill or not, or what's going on with that. The track phone that you're using, something you got to upgrade, man. Something ain't right. It ain't. It ain't me. It's blame it on the Rona. We're gonna charge everything on the Rona. Everything's Rona fault. Uh-huh. Everything. And Rona. we also have, as usual, our uh, resident expert on all things little, Jamie. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Kareem wants to know what's up with your head. Like, are we losing it just like? Karima is, and and he does not want to go back and forth about hair because at least there's something to style. <laughs> Listen, I, I really don't have a comeback for that because I'm bald and I'm happy that I'm bald. But guess what? I'm, I'm you happy two, with that. you two gonna be okay. bald soon, and soon later we're gonna be going hat, hat shopping together. I'm gonna be buying a wig. Yeah, you gonna get a wig? I'm gonna get a new era hat. How about that? Hmm. See, listen though, if, Kareem, you're still trying to hold on to a little bit though. Like you just need to go ahead and just cut it off and, and be done with it. I, I would love to be able to do it, but I can't find a barbershop. You gotta blame it on the Rona. Like my face is growing, man. It's out of control right now. Everything's up. <laughs> so on the previous <laughs> podcast, we had uh, we talked the music industry, specifically the hip hop music industry with Dr. Scott. And we also had um Terrence there doing some wonderful things out there with his company a uh, young man is up and coming so he's, he's an artist as well as a business person um it's gonna be hard for him to juggle the content side and the business side but um I hopefully uh you know we wish him well on everything that he's doing uh jamie what was your impressions of that podcast um i learned a lot of information it's, it's a hard industry to be in so i wish him the best of luck one of the things he talked about was um intellectual property and you know not only the rights to your material um, and I wanted to bring this up yesterday, too, but uh, when we recorded it, from an educational standpoint, because we do motivational speaking and we do go out there and uh, do presentations, um, we have to be careful, too, because we're tied to an organization. I know there was time that the school district that I used to work in um, for me to do professional development. Like they pretty much own the intellectual property of me because I'm under contract with them. So um, it's, it's kind of interesting, just that concept of intellectual property. Three, what you think about the podcast? I thought um, Dr. Scott and, and Terrence brought some really good information to the table. Um, the the simple fact that now artists are getting 360 deals and mm-hmm. the record companies are engaging, or I should say, are getting percentage off of everything they do. So for the longest time, you know, the performances was strictly going to the artists. Now record companies are getting percentage of the performances and they're getting like merchandise deals. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so what we want to do here in this particular episode of the, uh, the podcast, we want to kind of lighten the mode up a little bit, but also be serious about it, because I think the intellectual property is also going to go hand in hand with what we're talking about today. Um, but we didn't want to focus this season on, obviously, the current situation. So we wanted to tap into some other industries that we haven't really been, you know, talking to and, and trying to really understand and bring to our audience. But um, a lot of us obviously enjoy 
comedy. It's definitely a healthy distraction. Uh, but most of the time, there's definitely a message that they're trying to get across with their, their comedy. Um, so what we did was we reached out to our network, and um, our network reached out to other people. And I said, let's get some some comics on here and, and talk about some things that's going on in, in the world of comedy. So we have two comics on today. I'd like to welcome Michelle and Renee to the show. How are you doing, Michelle? Hello. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Thanks for agreeing to be on. Renee, how are you? I'm good. Um, I'm always nervous, so this is perfect. How, wait a minute. How, you're a comic. How can you possibly be nervous about speaking in front of people? <laughs> um, no, I get it from more of it's the comedy is the it's the I have to do it because I need approval, and that's why I'm nervous. It's a constant sort of need to grasp at this like I need these people to laugh, and I need them. I need need love. So. The nervousness helps carry it through. If I wasn't nervous, I'd run away. Got you. So let's talk. Let's start. Let's start there, Michelle. Do you, are you? Do you get nervous before you go to perform? So not anymore. Um, you know, I, I did. I was a theater major. I have my BFA, and I did an apprenticeship at the Actors Theater of Louisville. So I mean, I have kind of the exercises, I guess, the trainings and stuff to back me up. And for me now, really, I don't get nervous anymore. I, I just had a really two big gigs. I had a gig at the Hard Rock opening up for Dimitri Martin. And I had a gig at the Hippodrome. He took me to the Hippodrome, which is like a 2300 person theater in um, Baltimore. But for me, um, I have just been trying to get like next level, next level. It just takes years. These little incremental steps. I mean, just you send something to a booker and then they go, we're not taking any new people. Send it to us again in 18 months or whatever. Then you send it back. Like it took, it just takes years to, to get in anywhere or, or I shouldn't speak for everybody. And Renee might have a different experience, but for me, it's just kind of oh, oh, moving up the ladder. It's okay. so like, I'm just, I'm like, it's like, I'm like a bull when they're running in the bull with the bulls of Pamplona, just like open this gate. Like, let me get out there. So Right now, I feel really good and confident, and I and I also have like my nice, solid set that I could do almost in my sleep now. So that I think the preparedness and just the frustration that of just getting that next gig, getting that booker to call you back, I just feel so ready now. I just like it's out of my system. The nerves, you know, yeah. and, and those are the reasons why. It's just out of just sheer frustration. Like I'm just so ready. Let me add them. Let me add them. <laughs> I got you. I, got, I definitely want to touch on work ethic in, in a little bit, but I want to go back to the beginning. Um, that moment where you realized that you know comedy was for you. Was it that you know you were performing in front of your family and friends, and they was like, "Hey, you're kind of funny. You kind of rolled with it." Or was this something that you always kind of wanted to to get into? So, Renee, I'll start with you. Um. So when I was really, really little, um, I had a record player in my bedroom and my dad gave me all of his uh, comedy records. Um, that actually is part of the leading jokes my set. But I, I listened to these albums every single night. They were actually Bill Cosby albums, but I would listen to them every single night. Um, and I just had this idea that like, I've always been very talkative. So I'm like, I can, so you can just stand there and say all of these things that you're thinking and people have to listen to you. I wasn't, you know, I was a kid, I didn't think about money. And, um, you know, I remember one time I was going on a rant to my brother's girlfriend at the time. I was 
maybe 12, and I was ranting to her about how ridiculous I thought rose art crayons were in comparison to Crayola crayons, because they have that like awful slick paper wrapped around them, and they were cheap and terrible, and I said something along the lines of, like, if your parents were going to buy you these, they might as well like just thrown you out. They didn't even love you. And my brother's girlfriend was like, <laughs> you were so... <laughs> She thought it was really funny, and I remember her telling me that she liked my rants because they made her think of, like, uh, she said George Carlin. I was not that filthy as a child. But I was like, oh, ooh, people, people love that. People love to hear you just go off about something mundane and kind of make it relatable and just sort of people telling me, people validating me as a person by reminding me that I'm funny or saying they like what I have to say or you know, anything is really what pushed me to, you know, continue listening to stand up, studying comics, different uh, approaches to how they do things. And it's just sort of, I also did theater for a long time, did it through school, but I didn't continue through college, but I've always just been a ham and a big look at me, look at me kind of person. So sounds like you, Kareem, you might, there might be a future for you in comedy. Man, I don't know. I don't think about that. I don't know. I don't know if I have the patience to keep calling people back and them telling me no. I just make it mad and just start like throwing bricks through windows and stuff. (laughs) So I shouldn't give you that responsibility with the primary perspective group because that happens all the time to me. When we're trying to get gigs to go out there and do professional development, you know how many doors I got slammed Mm -hmm. in my face? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you start throwing bricks. That's what you do. <laughs> Michelle, what about you? How did you get uh, started into, into comics? I think mine's pretty specific back to when I was a little kid because uh, I, I had uh, my mother and father in my house. They had twin boys the first year they got married. Okay. And then 11 years later came me and nobody in between. So I was with these four adults, essentially. By the time I'm six and getting into first grade, my brothers are seniors in high school. So there was no interest of anyone in my household in like crying or whining or like my little pony or whatever. Like the dynamic in my house was to sort of get attention. I had to grow grow up, I guess, or speak a little bit more, you know, elevated or know more about adult things going on. Like, I mean, I would watch television with my family. So we, you know, I just wasn't watching like these children's programs. We were watching Benny Hill. We were watching Gomer Pyle and um, uh, Andy Griffith show that happy days, that kind of like those shows, all these little sitcom comedies. And I just picked it up. Uh, I sort of realized I could get attention from that. Uh, I think in school, then I realized I could get attention it was like attention game, like Renee was saying. It was like this attention seeking. Um, it was also a way to diffuse the arguments or deal with bullies. Like I've never been in a physical fight with anybody before. I think it has a lot to do with it. Just kind of make a joke or if somebody's trying to pick on you or something, just have a better like comeback, you know? And, and uh, it just really was like this survival tool for me, yeah. So I think I'm, I'm raising my kids right. So my, my youngest, um, Jaden, came home, this is maybe a year ago, talking about, you know, somebody was making fun of her mother and she was getting bullied, whatever. I said, you got two, three options. Tell the teacher, punch the kid in the face, or come back with some better than your mom jokes. So she loaded up for all her mom jokes. And she had some pretty good ones. She had like 30 of them. Yeah. That's super. 
That's funny. So let's go. Yeah. I know both of you have um, theater backgrounds, but I want to go back to that moment, the first time on stage, and you're delivering your, your comedy, your very first time in front of an audience, um, professionally, I guess I could say. So, Renee, I'll start to you. Take us back to that moment. It's your first show. It's your first opportunity. What was going through your head? Were there, did you practice the material before on the smaller audience? What was through that process? Um, well, being that, like I said, I, I said earlier, I, um, I'm a waitress. So I have things that I would kind of say to my tables all the time offhand to kind of see if they work. I had things I say to my friends all the time. Um, I wrote my set uh, just by going to, um, I actually had a therapist who said, you've been saying you want to do this. You have, and you have to, like, this is your homework. You have to go and get into the new faces showcase at the improv. So I went and I would go to Starbucks every day and I just wrote and wrote and wrote and um, put together the things that I felt I could segue to. And then um, I just kind of walked around my house and repeated it out loud to myself. I recorded myself saying it and I was there waiting for my name to be called. And I remember saying like, you can still run. Like you could just straight up run there. People They'll, like everyone sitting there for you will understand. Like you can just, but I use that like fear as like a, instead of a fight or flight, I guess I just sort of was like, okay, well I have to, I have to fight it. Like I have to get up there and because my fear like will not, it wouldn't let me fail at this. I couldn't fail at this. So it was funny. My opening joke was actually one thing and I ended up speaking to some of the comics. We were all sitting around, around waiting for our names and I offhand mentioned like my history into it and having to listen to the Bill Cosby albums. And the guy was like, yo, use that right now. And I, I used that immediately when I got up there and like a whole five second, like laugh, applause, crack up. And I was like, all right, I can, I can do this. It was very good for my first time, but I think that that was what was hard, you know, because I'm still very new at this. So when you have your first time that you like totally kill, it makes it kind of hard to, I don't know if it was a good thing that I killed the first time because it's like you have this expectation built up from then on out and you have to kind of learn to, you know, suck right. a little bit. Right. There's some things that, that you said that, because we obviously, um, we go out and we do public speaking a lot and there's, um, the way that I kind of go through it is I'll talk to the audience before I even go on. And I kind of, that kind of uses my, my, um, nerves and things that kind of gives me material. So then, you know, you start to, I have what's in my brain what I want to say, but then I start feeling the audience and I kind of get into that pocket. When I, once I have them, then it's kind of, you know, a lot easier to, to, to go through that process. Um, so, you know, the, the preparation going into any presentation is huge. Michelle, talk about how you, um, what was your first experience like? So I know the first experience I was on stage, I was not uh, I was not professional, was not paid. I was at a comedy show. And I don't remember the back and forth between the comic. I mean, the comedian was funny. I don't remember. It was, you know, just like this guy doing his comedy. And we I we were in the front table and, you know, a bunch of like 22-year-old girls. So I guess it was planned to us. I don't know, whatever we said back and forth. We were all, you know, people from the Kent, Kent State University is where I went in Ohio. We're all, you know, theater people were there. And he said something like, I, I think it was rhetorical, like, can you do better? And and then I, I said, 
I don't know what I mean. You know, you're 22, you're a kid. So you're like, yeah, I can. And and then he handed me the microphone, and I went up there, and I just was up there for like a couple seconds. I got some laughs. He was happy. It wasn't confrontational. I, I wish I could remember the why, what you know, prompted him to say that. But then I went up there and I went to a couple open mics and it was pretty easy to get on the open mics because there weren't um, a lot of women ever showed up. So you you just always got on, you know, you know, Renee can say too, like to get on these open mics, a lot of times you have to show up in person and, and you're standing outside of the club because the club isn't open. You go to the club at six and the club opens at seven and you sign your name up and then you get on or you don't. And it's, it's you know, it's a real uh, labor of love to do these open mics, but I would always be able to get on. And I did that for a little bit in Ohio. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. So that's what started. And I think you sort of slip and slide into the paying gigs, right, Renee? Like, you know, you get 50 bucks here and there, then oh. you get it for free. No, I'm, you not know. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not paid. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's so, but I, I guess I, I would get a little, gig somebody would put me on like we're doing a country club and go ahead and open and you know i really just started to you know now i'm now i'm now it's presumed that i will get paid so i think i've made it over that hump <laughs> people aren't like paid what do you mean <laughs> so. you got like two levels here do you i <laughs> It's perfect, wonderful. I'm, 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 I'm older than I, I'm. My career, my career, doctor, is in the uh, perfect place. If I were 24 years old, unfortunately, <laughs> I am not. So I'm a little bit uh, behind. I'm not even 24 years old. <laughs> if I was 24, I'd be in the perfect place, boys, to skyrocket. So I'm a little bit of a bloomer. Is this all about like bloomers? I because I can speak to that. <laughs> now, Jamie, I want to bring you into this because um, we went to San Antonio. I think that was the first time that you went and presented with us, and it was out of your comfort zone. Like, yeah. talk about that process. Talk about how you overcame your nervousness when you were to go present. Um, I don't know if I actually got over my nervousness. I was probably nervous the whole time, but I, I thought about what I said before I said it, and that helped me speak easier. I just, I couldn't go off the top of my head like you guys were doing. I had to think about it first so that I wouldn't stumble over my words. Uh, yeah, I don't know how you do that. I, I'm not a person that need that can use index cards and stuff. It's just kind of <laughs> and whatever it comes out my mouth, comes out my mouth. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. Um, I don't know. Is that your process? Uh, well, it's there. I, I pretty much feed off of what other people. So while even like when you're talking, I'm processing. When we're we're talking to you know different educators, I'm still processing. So I really don't know which direction I'm going to go into. We have our slides, we have our presentation, but I don't even know if I know before we let me say this. I know that when we had the three-hour presentation, our biggest worry was rather not if we had enough material, and even we did three hours and we still didn't even get to the, the PowerPoint. We still didn't hit like key facts and things that we actually wanted to discuss that we thought was important. And we was like, well, you gotta come back and see us next year and we'll take you through the other hour and a half that we didn't get through. But right. I think that what we're able to do is make connections with people and from that be able to go into storytelling. And I think that's where like hip hop and comedy pretty much merge because it's the art of storytelling and being able to connect with people. It's a great point and it's a great segment because I wanted to get into the material and the inspiration mm -hmm. of the material. Um, for us, you know, in our presentation, our material is 
you know, real life stuff. We lived it mm -hmm. and we're just kind of putting and packaging it in a situation where educators can digest it. Um, so for the comments on here, like where do you, where does your material come from? And then more importantly, like how, how do you go about tailoring it to your, your audience? Because what else, no presentation, one presentation is different than the next. Even though it's the same topic, we haven't done the same presentation over the 30 times that we've been presenting this stuff. Talk about the inspiration of your material and then how do you go about presenting it to, I'm sure there's different audiences depending on where you go as well, too. Um, right. I'll start with you. Who's you? Me? Me? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you do what you call read the room. So I am very diligent. Some comics aren't. Some comics are if you're the headliner, you go in the back, you drink some beers, go on your phone, whatever. Oh, it's time for me to go out. And they go out. And then you can step on some landmines if you do that. Like a landmine, we call them like if you, you know, go, who has an anniversary? And like, you know, the, the host has already done all that before you get out there. So like when I show up, I watch the show. So I'm out there the whole time. And I get there early and it's like, oh, these people, this is all on dates. Oh, there's a group of women over here. I, I'll go like, hey, thanks for coming. Like, what, like, oh, it's her birthday. Like, I'll find out kind of data mine a little bit in the audience. So I know who to do because then I can kind of gauge like, I don't think they like that bit too well. I don't think they'll like that. Oh, I have a bit about birthdays or I have a bit. I'm going to definitely do that. So a lot of it's like, like that. And it's, and just in terms of the day of the performance, or if I know I'm going to a VFW, like I'm going to want to know, like, you know, uh, I'll, I'll have say something about fishing or flannel shirts or whatever, like I'll be ready to like where I'm going. And then as far as just getting material, a lot of it just comes up. Like Renee was saying, she practiced at her tables. Like that's perfect. Like my, my friend caught me once we were driving out to Hamilton from Atlantic city where I am. So that's 45 minutes. And then I said something and she laughed and then she's driving and she looked over and she's like, you're practicing on me, aren't you? And I'm like, why does that? And so I just kind of practice in like a small, small group, but, you know, something funny might happen in this podcast. And then I'll think like, oh, I can use that. And I'll use it when I go, if we ever get to hang out again with our friends, like having wine or whatever, I'll say it, work it into the conversation, see if it lasts. And then it kind of develops like that. And then I, Renee probably has it too. I mean, I started a hundred notebooks. There's like a hundred notebooks laying around the house, you know, with just. If somebody you know, found the notes girl. on my phone, they'd be concerned. <laughs> if somebody found the notes on my phone that I write that are just oh, like yeah. fun things. Like there's one that's just like, ma'am, your baby didn't bring his wallet. And I don't know what that was about, but I wrote it on my phone. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's funny. Renee, talk about your, the inspiration of your, your material. Um, so a lot of my, I'm not a good liar. So like all of my material pretty much is true stories. I have, I've always been told I have a good way of telling the, just the strange things that'll happen to me in life. And I, I'll use those, um, you know, because they're real stories, I practice them on my friends all the time, obviously, when I tell them like, listen, this weird thing that happened. Um, but it's, a big thing was really uh, that I moved to Florida when I was 15 from New Jersey. And I did not expect what was going to happen. Like, I didn't know that where I was moving in Florida or that anywhere in Florida was like rednecky. Like, I wasn't sure. I had no idea. So I got down here and I went to this school that had a farm 
in the back of the school. <laughs> and like, and like with animals, like they're like, yeah, that 16 year old kid who like has four mustache hairs and monster energy drink tattoo. He got at somebody's house. Like we're going to let him take care of barn animals. And so that's just see, being able to see kind of the weird, just observate, like being able to observe just the things that are going on around me or really take in the parts of my life that maybe people do experience and don't notice. Um, that's sort of how I build things. And it's because I'm just not good at making things up that aren't true, but I'm able to observe the things that are, are that are true and turn them into something. Um, as far as like reading the room, that is really important. I think the second time that I ever did a set, now that whole thing about the school I went to is part of my set and that's why I brought it up because I ended up doing, I think my second set I did it like this bar, like this redneck bar. And I said something and this guy out there just goes, so? And I was like, oh, those people are normal to that guy. Like that, that, that was that guy's son. Like that was, you know, the kid I'm talking about. It's probably his, you know, probably his kid. So it's, you know, that is something that you learn is definitely reading, reading the room. You know, in Florida, you do have very different uh, rooms. You have a various mix of people. I'm obviously kind of, uh, I don't know if it's showing up. I got like piercings and tattoos and colored hair and I, you know, do my whole thing. So I'm not super, I try to steer clear of some of uh, the rooms I know I'm not going to do well in, but I think <laughs> as you get better, you probably learn how to go for any room. Right. I get That's it. A lot of, so my material is all as, as true as it possibly can be. Got you. The, the reading the room part in any performance is, is, is the, the advantage that we have is that there's three of us doing this performance. So if I'm bombing, Kareem can pick me up or Danny can pick me up and they we kind of have that sense of it about it. Um, but you're on there solo. There's, you're not, you're, you're by yourself. So take us to that moment. You had a joke that didn't go over so well. Like, what are the tactics you use to kind of bounce back from it? Um, I mean, everything that I, just in life, my I do a lot of like self-deprecation. So I'll usually lean into sort of being like, you know, all right didn't work you know like kind of just go back on like <laughs> you know, the last like at me to know that it's like yeah well typical renee we didn't do that correctly and just try to you know turn it around on like ah renee she's so ah. yeah at you how about you michelle yeah, you have a couple of choices you know you can really address the elephant in the room like if it's you know, just like what Renee said, if you tell a joke about, I don't know if, I mean, I haven't performed since this started, but you know, if I make a coronavirus joke and it bombs, uh, you know, two months from now, I can say what too soon or whatever, and just move on <laughs> and, and just shift gears right away because me, the people paid the cover to sit down and to laugh. They didn't pay the cover and, you know, to go to a comedy club, you didn't pay a cover to take a class or, you know, change your views politically or whatever. You just came to their left. So uh, they're not laughing at a particular direction I'm going. I just kind of abandon ship and, and go a different way with them or maybe go into the crowd and do some crowd work or, or something. Uh, and because my, my goal is to just let everybody be, be happy. Actually, Renee said something at the beginning. Um, uh, uh, but 
that reminded me of it. I mean, com comedians are miswired in that. It is of utmost importance that everybody like you at the heart of everything. That's why when people have these interactions with rock stars, they like, oh, he was a jerk. I met Sting. He was a total jerk to me, blah, blah, blah. When people meet comedians, they have all these selfies with them. They uh, <laughs> take your cell phone out of the front row and film them. Like they just want to be like. I, I don't. I haven't met a lot of. I've met comedians that are, you know, jerks. They're divorced three times. They've been on the road for a hundred years, and they're kind of jerks. But there's this this inherent girl that they want everybody to like them. Yeah. <laughs> you said it a different way, Renee, but you touched yeah. upon it like one of the first things you said. Yeah. So there's somewhere in America right now, there's this young girl that wants to get into comedy. She's 12 years old right now. And she, her family thinks that she's hilarious. And she's like, maybe this is something that I want to get into. What kind of advice would you give this young lady about the industry? Um, how does it treat female comics? Um, what, are they, you know, what are they up against? Or might, what might they be up against down the road? Anyone can take it. Well, I would say for if in anything, if they've identified anything that is a passion that can be an occupation, the, where where I wish I could change one thing is if I had just done theater or found comedy sooner and just done just that. Because what I tried to do in high school was like, I didn't want to be home. You know, I mean, I, I went from like, you know, soccer practice to working on the yearbook and go home, get something to eat and then come back. I have play practice or whatever. Like I was trying to do all these things. So I was just kind of like, okay. at all these things instead of just focusing on it. And that it, a passion like theater or singing or some kind of performing arts, or I guess I, I'm not good at visual arts painting or anything, but I guess it applies to that. Do it also as like your hobby, like find, uh, you know, you're 12 and you definitely want to be a comedian when you grow up. Well, find other 12 year olds that want to be a comedian. And then instead of like just going to the mall and hanging out, like get your notebooks and like hang out as part of your hobby, like write those jokes and stuff. So you have it and you just, just keep doing it and doing it and doing it well. I don't know. I got into a song. <laughs> just keep on doing it <laughs> and, and just, just focus on that and don't sway from your path. Because what I did was like, oh, you know, I went to theater and then let me wait some tables and get money because I really want to own a house before I had this magic number that I want to do this, that, and the other thing. I want to own a house before I was 30 and stuff. So then I was waiting tables and just doing like all these side hustles. I let it go. Then I got in a relationship where I was more like, you know, setting up the house and, you know, uh, like the, I was like the pool boy, <laughs> you know, taking care of the household and stuff. And I fell away. And it's like all those years I lost. And like now I'm out trying to like, you know, get into it now. And um, I just sort of fell off the path. I mean, I really am like 10, 15 years behind of where I like to be because I tried to do other stuff. Like, let me sell real estate. Let me get this small fortune amassed and then I'll open a comp club or I don't know, whatever I thought. I mean, none of that happened, but I tried to do all these like real job things and I'm, the truth will out. You know, I wasn't happy doing any of that. And now I'm just trying to do comedy late. So just if you're a parent of a daughter that wants to be an artist, just get over it and just let them do it and put some money aside because they're going to need to borrow it from you from time. Renee, what advice would you give? Um, I've always, I was like, from the time I was very little, just a notorious quitter. If I felt like I wasn't being 
perfect it's something i would be like well no we're handing in our dance shoes and then we're never going to go back again um really theater was the one thing that i stuck through all the way through high school and um after that i just like this real job idea that was given to me um but i've never been good at that i mean like i am not a re you know i'm a creative type of person who wants to do those things but I was so afraid of not having the backup of a real job that I like hadn't, I also like until this point, hadn't really allowed myself to follow, you know, follow the dream. Whereas, you know, and the one thing that I always hear can like, you know, they're saying it in their specials and stuff. Now I think Tom Segura mentioned it in his most recent, recent specials. You have to, you have to be okay failing you have to be okay with messing up and not looking good and falling on your face and that's something that I you know I'm 29 and recently I was thinking I was like wow like I had a friend who was posting pictures of her art like it like drawing getting better and I was like whoa so like the more she practices this the better she's getting at it that is a wild concept that for some reason I was not able to grasp until recently I'm like man she gets better the more she does it but <laughs> It's so you know, true. So it seems so obvious, but it's like you're not, you know, if you think you're going to be fantastic the first time and you let yourself give up, that's a big mistake, you know. So you have to just keep being resilient is uh, is a big thing in any kind of art that you want to pursue. And if you, if I can add just one more thing, it's never too early to learn about networking because I was a little Catholic school mm -hmm. girl, and I think somehow I got this messaging that it was like unbecoming to like if you if you saw someone you someone that could help you you didn't go up and ask them for help or something like i'd never i i would think like um oh th this person you know works at the comedy club so like I, i'm gonna I, I almost like stay away from them or something like i didn't want to be pushy or something yeah. and and someone actually in my church sat down and said, you know, I'm really good at networking. I feel like you need to improve your networking. Why don't you bring your resume up and then we'll we'll talk about this. This little old lady, you know, she used to, she's well retired, 70, 70, 80 years old, something, you know, and she sat me down and she looked at my resume and she's like, you should be doing this, that, and the other thing. And just kind of, I guess, gave me permission to sort of go up to people, I guess, or just, you know, just friend people, tweet people, whatever. I mean, now I just kind of, you know, it's so much about networking. This gig that I got at the Hard Rock was more about just meeting, and it took years, but it was like meeting this person and, oh, my friend does this. You should talk to Adam. They should talk to this, blah, blah, blah. And and just sort of my stuff finally got to them, and it, it wasn't about really being at a club every night and somebody seeing me at a club. It was mm -hmm. like a friend vouching for me, give this person a shot. So that, that's just really important. I mean, cause I waited tables too. And why was I waiting tables at just like bars? Why didn't I go wait tables at the, at a comedy club? Why didn't I, why did I not do that? I don't, that was so silly. Like I should have been trying to work at where I wanted to be, but I, I like, well, if this I can't, right here, yeah, if I can't be <laughs> stage, I don't want to, at this theater, I don't want to be anywhere near this theater. I'll go work at this Chinese restaurant or whatever. So dumb. Like, you, that's it. That'll make one difference, you know? Right. That really applies to any industry if you really think about mm -hmm. it. Like, even if you want to be a teacher, you go need to be around other teachers. You need to go sit in a classroom. I always tell young people this to this day, especially we live in a day and age where technology is where it is. Like, 
if you wanted to be a doctor, I said, you have a doctor, a pediatrician, ask them if you can shadow them for the day. Like, they don't think on that level. Like, you have so many opportunities to, to go and actually learn about your craft and, you know, practice your craft. Um, but I think I think part of it is the parents are still in that old school frame. Of mm -hmm. the There's a certain way to do things because that's how they did it. Um, but, you know, I try to expose my daughter to everything that they wanted to do. Um, she, my one daughter to have wanted to have a slime uh, convention. So I took her to Boston. We went to the slime convention. She met the person, like, exposing them to what it really takes for that to happen. I think more people do that. I don't know why I do that. I was a theater major, and then I'd go home for the summer, and I would teach tennis lessons with my brother, or I would, like, work at a restaurant. <laughs> why didn't I go work at a theater? So then, then I would go back to studying theater. But then, like, when school was over, like, oh. And then I would just leave, and then I was cutting grass and doing whatever, like, summer jobs to make money for school. But I don't know why I didn't try to work in my field. I, I just didn't. It was just a mistake. Right, right. So I do like the idea. Let me chime in for a second. Because when, when, I'm, when I'm listening to what everybody's saying, but also what happens is that, we, we missed the opportunity in education to teach our kids how to build connections. So you, you said that for someone that's interested in a in particular industry to be able to hang out with that particular person. I, I disagree with the person that's trying to become a teacher. And part of that is because you get trapped in the little mindset of an educator and what education is today is not what reality is. So you're, you're teaching principles that the rest of the world is not even connected to. So if, if we're teaching them life skills, we, we need to start teaching them how to build connections, how to be able to walk up to someone and say, hey, listen, I really like what you're doing. Do you have any advice to me? So even when we have like career day, we have students that will sit there and won't say absolutely nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Won't even yeah. about what they're interested in. We got to pull teeth to be able to get their interest out when we're trying to listen to him. And some of it's good. We also get this bad messaging about nepotism. Like, oh, he just got that because he knew such and such, blah, blah, blah. But there's like a good side to, to it too. Like, I mean, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm looking, here's Renee. I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm going to send her a friend request. Someone says, hey, I'm out in, you're in Florida, right? Are you? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, need somebody to, you know, in Florida, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm. it's not nepotism. I'm just like, hey, I did this podcast. She's smart. She's diligent. She's sober. I think she has a lot of smart. <laughs> I can vouch for this chick. I'm just kidding. If I don't, but you know, there's something to be, there's, it's, it help. I'm helping that booker by sending him someone competent. But we got this messaging of like, that's not fair. You know, Kareem got on this podcast because this, that, that's, that's, that's a bad message sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, it, 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 it you know, you, you really just amassing a bunch of people that will vouch for you as helping the, the employer, mm -hmm. you know, great. I don't have to look anymore. Renee's just what I want. Thanks, Michelle. This is great. You know, mm -hmm. right. now, now here's the other thing, Misa, right? Teachers cringe when I come into the classroom and I tell all my students that I didn't use algebra over the weekend. I didn't use algebra last month. I didn't use algebra all year. So <laughs> but what algebra does is it gets you in the room with other people so you can actually build connections because you may need that person that actually knows algebra. You may need that person to come and redesign your home that is an expert at geometry. So it gets you in the room so you can have conversations and you make connections with other people. 
at the end of the day, this podcast would have never happened without having connections. You know, guy mm-hmm. and Jackie, we didn't know each other before we even you know, sat down and had this conversation. But um, and we say this all the time, like you know, build your network. Um, mm-hmm. There's a professional network, social network. You need to talk to people. You know, you don't. Mm-hmm. Know You're not an expert in everything, so you need to talk to people. Um, I do want to speak here. We have two segments on here that we like to have a little bit of fun with. Um, Kareem has his segment, and then we had little bits over there. She has her segment. So Kareem's segment is all about, he's been on his quest to trying to find out people are petty. He's trying to have people embrace their pettiness. And then we got a little bit over there. She's going to talk about all things little. She's going to talk about things, little things that she hates. So I want you, uh, I'm going to toss it to Kareem first, and then we'll get to little bits in a second. So I'm in the process of building a, what I like to call a petty army. And with my petty army, we're going to just go take over the world and be able to have a world just full of petty people. So when you guys are, are performing, right, and somebody doesn't laugh, do you get angry at that particular audience? Like they're a problem? Because a lot of times I walk in a room and I think other people are the problem, not me. I think I did. And then a comedian told me, it's never them. It's always you. Mm-hmm. You gotta figure out how to make them laugh. This is in my field. I, I there's jerks in the world, Kareem, but I just <laughs> in my field, of course, you're like, oh, these people, they don't know, they're stupid, they don't get it. Like I'm my I'm so highbrow humor, they don't get it. But he's like, it's never, it's never them. It is always you. So now that's my new belief system. And I like, I'm gonna crack the code, I'm gonna get Jamie to laugh, I'm gonna figure it out, like you know, so. That's me. Okay, what you got, Renee? Because I have a follow-up question. What you got? Um, yeah, I mean, in general, I am that kind of person who's probably, like, who would say it's more something I did. Although there is a, a sort of twinge where it's like, if I had said this joke and I was the dude version of me, would this joke mm-hmm. have gone, gone over better? Oh, maybe. So I have a lot of jokes that are, like, I don't do, like, sexual stuff but I'll, I'll do jokes about like you know that get on the the risque end and some people just don't want to hear a girl talk about like you know i have drug jokes and like some people are like oh what a, you know i don't look like a nice girl i don't think but like they're like oh we don't want to see a girl you know we want to see like some gross dude talk about these kind of things so i get a little bit angry at that but mostly i'm i'm always willing to take the blame mm-hmm. for, for any any wrongdoing that happens mm-hmm. in the world I'm like, this is interesting because now one of my assessments that I like to do is use the movie um, with a woman. Her name was Rose. I'm pretty sure you guys. And she was on a boat and the boat crashed hit the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. There you have Rose and her newly boyfriend that's floating on this piece of wood. Mm -hmm. Now, he ultimately dies because Rose was so petty that she didn't allow him access to the board. How do you guys feel about that? Exactly how you feel about it. That's exactly what I said. Mm-hmm. Well, she knew if she'd let him, if she let him live, her mom was going to get mad at her. Mm-hmm. her that Billy Zane was going to get mad at her. Mm-hmm. You know, so you gotta. Sometimes you gotta. You gotta Carol Baskin the guy. You gotta throw him off the edge. What, and what about that diamond that was in her pocket? Some people believe that she didn't know it was there. I firmly believe that she felt that hand-sized diamond in her pocket. 
Oh, the, honestly, the part that makes me the angriest about the movie is she waited 84 years to call a whole bunch of people to listen to her talk about her weekend fling so she could throw expensive jewelry in the ocean. Yeah. Like that, like, ma'am. Yeah. That's messed up. Yes. My army is growing. We're, we're, we're feeling the same way about Rose and her pettiness. I think that she waited for everybody to die so the statute of limitations would run out and she didn't have to worry about being convicted of any type of crime. But hmm. I don't know why she wouldn't want that stone. Yeah, um, I would have pushed her in after it if I was her granddaughter. I've never seen it with somebody. They're like, it's symbolism. I'm like, I don't care. She can have people with that stone. <laughs> symbolism that I require from that is the little S with the line through. That's a symbol that I need. I need to collect the money from that gem. <laughs> now, Kareem, I, I don't know about you. When we go to present and people don't look at us like we don't know what we're talking about, I'm not going to say it's my fault. No, it is them. It's them all day long. You should have got what I said. You signed up for this. I ain't going to sign you up. You signed up for this. You've seen the title and what the description is all about. You shouldn't have came if you didn't want to learn this stuff. <laughs> That's facts. I'm petty. So we're going to switch over to little bit. She's two feet tall. Her is called All Things Little. Mm -hmm. Go Jamie. Last couple episodes, you've been throwing shots at Kareem. Subliminally. What you got for us today? I'm not going to throw a shot today. You said that last time. You keep saying that. I'm not going to. I dislike, as a small person, and the, the girls could probably understand where I'm coming from, I'm small. So when I go out, small dudes like to approach me. I don't like, if me and you are looking <laughs> eye to eye, it's not going to work out. Wait a minute. <laughs> I don't <Nice>. like <laughs> Biased. Yeah, you're two feet tall, so baby, wow. basically a male baby coming up to you trying to talk to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Listen, like, she's gonna fall in love and live with this person. She wants someone to reach stuff. Yes, yeah, you have to reach stuff for me. You should be able to pick me up to help me get stuff. Mm -hmm. We we can't have the same size. We can't. We can't. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Not even uh, a little bit. There has to be like a big difference. It can't be close. Not even um, close, huh? Not even close. What's the, what's the cutoff? Like, did your head come up to the, the, the chest, bottom of the chest, top of the chest, the shoulders? Like, how tall? What's the cutoff for you? Uh, What's that? You can't be under, like, you can't be under that cutoff? Yeah. yeah like when you hug them, sure, right? Like, Where does your head let, rest? Mm, you you can't be under, like, 5'10". Like, what if you have a big show? You know how you go through. Is he, is he too small? If who? If your forehead touches his lips, is he too small for you? <laughs> oh my God, yeah, too small. Too small. Wow. Okay. Miso, you know how you go to the amusement parks and they have like, if you have to be taller than this to be able to ride the ride? I think <laughs> part of Jamie's reasoning as to why she wants a big dude is because she don't want anybody not to be able to give him a ride with her. Oh. <laughs> I know, don't. Okay, I, I got it. I'm gonna get a, a, a cut out of Kareem going like this, and you on the camera will call to you. You go see if it's <laughs> for this. I remember seeing like a Guinness book, a uh, record book, and like the tallest guy married like the smallest woman in the world, the tallest guy in the world married is like seven, eight feet something. I remember seeing a picture like old black and white. You can look that up. <laughs> oh, I mean, my my boyfriend is not. 
tall, but he's nice. But tall guys have like if you're tall and like you you haven't slept since the Garfield administration and you <laughs> like you've just that's that's that is chef kiss mwah. just tall, <laughs> sleepy, you're kind of smelly, you might have a questionable past, but it's always like if they're tall and all that, then it's like extra like, oh, I don't ruin my life. Go ahead. I don't care. <laughs> There's like oh. a balance. Like you can be short. Like if you're small, but like you're really, really attractive, like yeah. that's not the end of the world. I could handle yeah. that. But if, like, I don't know. I think I would rather deal with someone that's not that tall and attractive than someone that's tall and not attractive. Like there is like a fine line somewhere yeah. between there. Yeah, I'm like five, five. My boyfriend's like five, nine. Yeah, final surgery, so I'm hoping that might push him up maybe a couple inches. Stretch it could. Out. Oh my gosh, stretch him out. There's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a whole bunch of guys in America and across the world trying to stretch themselves out for you, Jamie. Really? <laughs> <laughs> people have been just hanging upside down since this podcast started, just hoping to get a shot with you. <laughs> so I have to ask people, you, the people crank. <laughs> you have to add, answer that question as well. One thing that that you find small that you do not like. One thing that's small that I don't like my mm -hmm. bank account. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've been making this joke because you know everybody's like, "Oh, I'm losing all this money and blah blah blah." I'm like, "I know, I got ten gigs that canceled. How am I going to make up this 187 dollars or whatever?" <laughs> you know, has like been a been a joke. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't like that my bank account is so small. Um, when you're in the gig economy, you know, because you get like a big check, then you don't get anything for a while. Then you got to like hustle, get these little checks um, and then get a bigger check. And it's just never anything steady, you know, and it slows down and the holiday times are weird. You don't really have anything or else you maybe have like a like a New Year's Eve gig that's cool. Like it's just all like this unknown and you just get a little bit from here, a little bit, oh, I'm gonna teach this class. I get a hundred bucks a pop when I teach this class. Oh, I'm gonna do this bar gig. Oh, that, this guy wants me to, you're just, you know, you're just, you're stacking quarters up, like, you know, uh, mm. trying to make it be a salary. So that that's what I don't like. And then like this happens, you know, and then it's like, who do I, who am I going to for unemployment and stuff? I have 1099s all over town. For like so I, I'm not going to get like, I was like, you know, who's paying my unemployment? Like this bar and grill or this bar and grill? Like, you know. That's funny. What about you, Renee? Something small that you don't like? So like literally small or something insignificant that bugs me? What do you mean by small? That was my. It could be either or. We already did small minded. I'm not saying you anyone in particular. I can't I can't I wait know, for the day. Like, <laughs> I, listen, I, I can't wait for the day that you, you're bald and we're gonna go shopping together. I swear we're gonna shopping together. Mm -hmm. That day you you're bald because that thing on top of your head is not gonna last forever. I, oh, can't, I can't wait till I can't wait till she falls in love with somebody that's like four foot two or something. <laughs> I'll be at your wedding. Yeah, yeah, really, really, really fine. Really, really, really fine. <laughs> fine looking, but like, you know, uh -huh. 
That's okay, cause I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go to the horse races. I'm gonna find me a jockey, and then I'm gonna have him catfish, have him catfish Jamie, and thinking that he's like a six nine goddess. Then he gonna then he gonna pull up he gonna pull up in the house with a small car with a small mm-hmm. dog. Absolutely, uh-uh. and he's small minded. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> go ahead, Sorry, go ahead. The jockeys are nice and sinewy though, real veiny. <laughs> Good luck. I like it. <laughs> so what you got for us, Renee? I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I overthink things. So I'm like, are we talking about actual small things like mosquitoes? Those are terrible. Or, um, insi- I mean, I'm going to go with something that is, is not a big deal, but it still is like a big bother for me. Um, whenever you complain about your job, like it's on, people's like automatic thing to do is be like, ah, every job is terrible. You know, everybody hates their job. And it seems like such a throwaway, like simple thing to say to each other. Like, oh, I hate my job. Oh, I hate my job too. But it like, it just runs over and over in my brain that like, if we were all just as a collective being like, yeah, every laundry detergent gives me a crash. We would stop doing that. Like we would stop having that, like any, we would revamp the entire concept of laundry soap if it was just ruining everybody's life and so that's the is just those little throwaway statements people make i think mm-hmm. are the thing that's been bothering me lately is when i like i'm trying to like vent and somebody's like i got the perfect little stupid uh what is it like pandering thing to say to you where i'm just gonna patronize you and be like oh well it's always gonna suck like it's always gonna suck like i'm just gonna, <laughs> like i'm supposed to be like oh cool yeah good luck i'm great i'm almost 30 and i found out everything's gonna continue to suck that's pretty funny so that's um, a small thing i guess that bugs me awesome well ladies thank you Thank you so much for uh, spending the day with us and spending some time and chatting. We're having some fun, obviously, and setting some important information about um, presenting in general and then also, obviously, the industry of uh, comedy. Um, any contact information, uh, people can come you know, see your content or get in contact with you when this is all over. Uh, maybe there is a virtual producer out there and you do some virtual shows right now. I don't know. Who knows what the network's going to bring? So how can people get in contact with you? I'm going to do a live show tomorrow. My friends have been, you know, kind of Michelle, do it, do it. Uh, you know, just trying to put something on social media every day. So I'm going live tomorrow. My handle across all social media is Tom Comedy. My last, um, my last name is Tomko, T-O-M-K-O. So it's at T-O-M-K-O-M-E-D-Y, Tom Comedy. Awesome. Renee, you still there? Yeah, I'm there. Sorry, I didn't remember the name of my page, so I had to go look it up. Um, I haven't, this has a couple videos on it. I haven't, um, I was in a car accident last year, so I haven't done stuff in a little while. I'm going to be having neck surgery next week. But um, I do have a page on Facebook where people can see some of the videos that I've done, and it's Renee Minichino Comedy. The last name is, I, I know, it's way too long. It's uh, M-I-N-I-C-H-I-N-O. So Renee Minichino Comedy. Um, I also have a Twitter um, that sometimes I say some reasonably funny stuff on. And it's just the letter R, my middle name, which is Sadie, S-A-D-I-E. And then M. I just do different variations of my name. It's probably better. Maybe you guys write it down somewhere. Name like you were spelling Mississippi. 
See, one of the reasons I'm, tr I'm trying to get the boyfriend to lock it on, not necessarily because, I mean, I like him, but I just need a shorter last name for <laughs> lines and stuff. So. That's pretty funny. Yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't care if he's tall, short, or anything. It's like, is your name Smith or John? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, four letters, I'm good. That's funny. Jamie, any last words before we get out of here? No, just don't be afraid to try something new. Even if you don't know if it's going to work out, you know, go with what you want to do. Awesome. Mr. Petty, Spence, what you got? Well, I am actively recruiting so I can have my, my army of Petty followers. We're going to dominate the world. We're going to make sure that everybody is able to embrace their pettiness and not shy away from that pettiness. And you know what? Just have some fun. Laughter. Awesome. Comedy is the equalizer for everything. Yeah. No matter what you're going through, you can always use comedy to be able to have fun and relax. Life is too short. Yeah. I was going to say that along the same uh, lines, you know, we're obviously dealing with what we're dealing with. Mental health is a huge thing right now. I know a lot of people are out there struggling. Turn off some comedy, uh, and, you know, relax and, and, and enjoy, uh, you know, your time with your family and things. Um, you know, things will get better. We want to get through this. Um, make sure that we're mentally staying strong and having that balance as well. But also don't forget to have your plan in place and, and the work things back into the show. Um, we've been rocking with these podcasts out. we got more to come for you. So, as always, stay empowered.